0: Every day is a good day for Bible study. Am I right? I'm right. Hey everybody welcome back to the channel my name is tim this is tim hatch live and we are doing deep dive bible study part two the kings of compromise welcome into the channel if you're here for the first time would love it if you would do me a big favor and subscribe like whatever you want to do share the content if you're if you're familiar with this content if you believe it's going to help somebody share it on your social media i have a question for you do you ever feel like your life is defined by your worst moment or your biggest mistake or the largest problem that you've ever had if you are like that, if you have ever felt like that, if you ever felt like you could not get over whatever it was that was over you in terms of negativity, problems, sins, mistakes, challenges, can I tell you that that is the furthest thing God wants for you? He doesn't want you defined by your past, he wants you defined by his promises, and that's the content today in the Kings of Compromise because the Kings, the book of 1st and 2nd Kings is not about the Kings, it's about those whom God has called to himself. Let's get into it, Kings of Compromise, part Tuh. Did I just say to I said to <laughs> it's not to <tuh>. "De." <laughs> okay that was half French half English okay right to the Bible first Kings chapter one remember verse five let's get the context what's going on in the first chapter David's old they get him this beautiful young woman this is the only, we only went through five verses I think or 11, 10 verses, whatever. And they call on this guy, this girl, this young girl to love and care for David. Beautiful, young. We talked about the idol of beauty last week. Then the idol of beauty is also uh, exacerbated in Adonijah's rebellion. Adonijah exalted himself saying, I will be king. That is the idol of beauty. It's all about me. Look at me. And when we are in the idol of beauty, we are defining ourselves by what we look like. Well, that's the kingdom that Adonijah was about to set up. That's, what, that's where it was headed. And is following in the footsteps of his older brother, Absalom, who also was very handsome and was young and was all about himself. Remember, Absalom, he cut his hair off every year and would measure it and weigh it. I mean, you know you are self-obsessed when you're doing that. This was before the days of Instagram. But anyway, uh, Adonijah is about to take the kingdom into this very superficial, looks-oriented, Uh, all about me kind of kingdom and if you know anything about the bible from deuteronomy okay god did not call his people out of egypt to glorify themselves he called his people out of egypt to glorify him and that is what is true for us as christians we are not called out of sin to glorify ourselves we're called out of sin to glorify him and now all christians still deal with this sinful nature of i will be king I want my priority, my prominence, my power, my position, whatever. I want people to notice me, look at me, love me, whatever. That's not the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus is a call to come and die, a call to come and lay down your life and say, God, have your way with me. Now, there is an image in the first chapter of 1 Kings from a very unlikely source of a person who did just that. And we're going to name this person in just a moment, but I want to share, I want to save that, for a second, because I want to, again, remind us of the context that we're in here in First Kings. If we go back to the historical narrative of the Old Testament, you get Moses taking the people of Israel out of Egypt, and then where we are in the narrative of the Old Testament, the narrative of the people of Israel, is right here in this red box from the rise of Solomon to the absolute uh, desecration of all things in Israel. They end up in uh, exile to Babylon, it is a downward slope filled with division, political allegiances, and idolatry. So, this is a very, and I only share this to say, this is a very negative season in Israel's history, but there are so many positives, so many powerful truths that we can draw from it in our own lives, and, and that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. And right here, we see what leads to the desecration of Israel is a self-obsessed culture, a self-obsessed king a king that does not serve the people he serves himself so he gathers as the scripture says 50 uh he gathers chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him and his father like he like absolutely before him never at any time corrected him never at any time displeased him again what we see in our culture right now with self-obsession and narcissism it's really the fruit of a lack of discipline in the lives of parents when parents don't discipline their children and tell their children no and tell their children to have boundaries and tell their children that life is not about them and, and the world's not here to circle around them and, and they're here to benefit others and bless and help others. When we don't tell our children that and displease them, that's, that's a good word there in verse six. His father never displeased him. How many parents don't want to displease their children through discipline and then their undisciplined children live lives that displease untold numbers of people you have to say no to your children you have to displease them you have to correct them the scripture says folly is bound up at the heart of a child but the rod of discipline shall drive it far from him no child wants discipline every child will scream and holler and cry when mom and dad correct them but that child needs that correction needs that discipline in his life now when we talk about compromise and, and, and what we're seeing here is the theme of this talk. You know, compromise, we talked about it when we lower our standards, when we make concessions to the things of this world or the people of this world as Christians, that's compromise. But I have a question. What's the antithesis of compromise? We're all going to do this. Like, please don't let this theme um, depress you. We're all going to compromise. Christians will make concessions. They will lower their standards. But the question has to, be, has to be, what's the answer to that? And I would say that the answer to that is the antithesis of compromise. And the antithesis of compromise is faithfulness. Faithfulness is the opposite of compromise. When you are compromising and lowering your standards as a Christian, you're not being faithful. Now, here's where you think, I know, I know this is my problem. I'm just, I, I, I compromise, I'm not faithful, shame on me. And, and you think that's where we're going with this talk. No, here's where we're going with the talk. Are you ready? there is an answer to your compromise and it's not actually in you. It's in God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to you is your answer to the compromise within you. That doesn't seem intuitive. That doesn't come naturally because we want to be the solution to our own problems, but that is just not how the Bible speaks to us. I know a lot of people think that the Bible is about do better, try harder, get better, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. And become a better person that's not what the bible teaches on a regular basis the bible teaches that mankind don't do that they don't even have the power to do that we need god we need a savior we need the holy spirit the helper that's why jesus calls the holy spirit the helper in john chapter 14 and 16. he is here to help you he is here to help you with what with you he is here to help you with your biggest problem which is you and to give you godly desires, godly trends and, 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 and wants in your life. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what God is out to do in your life through the Holy Spirit. And through that process of the Holy Spirit sanctifying you and conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ, as Romans chapter 8, 28-30. So that you might be the first, so that jesus christ might be the firstborn among many brethren right so that there might be many people who look and act like jesus around the, around the around the world what that produces is a character associated with your name that pleases the world and blesses others now i am writing a new book and i'm writing a new book on ecclesiastes I, I i can't wait to get this book out to you it's called ending emptiness and it's a book about wisdom, and one of, the, one of the chapters is, it's a hard chapter in Ecclesiastes because people don't know how to interpret it, but I, I believe that the Lord gave me a good interpretation, a good understanding of what was in that chapter. The beginning of the chapter is Ecclesiastes 7.1. It says that a good name is better than uh, precious ointment, uh, the day of death better than a day of birth, basically saying it's not about how you start, the day of death, the day of birth. It's not about how you start, it's about how you end, and your name will travel much further than perfume. You think about perfume, ointment, it'll travel far. You put a little dab on you, people can smell it. Put a lot on you, a lot of people can smell it. Well, a name is like that, but a good name is better than fine perfume because if you have a good name, your name and your character and your reputation will travel farther. Here's where I see a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of god, god, godly people who struggle in in their discipleship because they always define themselves by their worst moment. They always define themselves according to their problems or their addictions or their hangups or whatever. And, and they let that be the final definition of your life. I want to do an exercise because we're going to start now revealing the person's name that stops Adonijah in his tracks. And it's shocking who it is. We're going to, we're right here. At, we ended at chapter uh, one, verse 10. We're going to turn the page and you're going to see the name as we turn the page, but I'm going to, I'm going to maintain some, some, um, uh, what do you call that, tension, suspense, there we go, <laughs> into this moment. Let me put some names up on the screen here. What do you think of when you think of the name Eve? Or what do you think of, the, or, uh, what do you think of when you think of the name Sarah? Or what do you think of when you think of the name Rebecca? What, are the na- what, what comes to mind? Like Eve, okay, I would say, original sin, right? Sarah, Abraham's wife, Baron, right? Le- gave birth in old age, Rebecca. That's Isaac's wife. I don't know, really can't think about much concerning her life. There's not much narrative about her life. What about Deborah, first woman judge? You know, she uh, defeats Israel's enemies and saves Israel from from, uh, annihilation. Amazing woman of God. What do you think of when you think of Ruth, the name Ruth? Um, Faithfulness, loyalty, hardworking, diligence. Or let's talk about Mary. And you say, wait, there's a space on the screen. (laughs) What, What happened? because we've got a name in the middle of these names. Just bear with me for a moment. But anyway, Mary, you think of virgin, uh, servant of the Lord. If you're Catholic, you are even praying to her. (laughs) Uh, What about Martha? And I think about Martha is the hardworking woman who is brother, uh, sister to Lazarus, and and she's um, beloved of the Lord. And she's a mighty woman of God, but she's concerned with so many, many things. Remember that moment in Luke 11 where she and Mary, not Mary the mother, but Mary, her sister, or Mary's at Jesus' feet, and Martha's in the kitchen working and saying, tell Mary to help me out with the work. You know, you think about Martha could go both ways, a good, honest, hardworking woman, and then at the same time, too busy with so many other things. My point is that all these names, including your name, carry some kind of definition. So... Like I said, there's a bunch of names up there. There's a space in between. And these are historically in order, chronologically in order from Eve all the way to Martha as named in the scriptures. Let me put the name. Are you ready for it? The name that stops the kingdom of Adonijah in his tracks. And you're not going to believe what that name is. They're all women names up there. Guess what the name is? Bathsheba. Bathsheba becomes the linchpin of saving Israel from absolute destruction in terms of self-centered worship, self-centered love, self-love, all those kind of things that we see so prevalent in our modern age. And when you think about Bathsheba, what's the first thing that comes to mind? (laughs) You don't think about Bathsheba and say, mighty woman of God, do you? Let's be honest. When we think of the name Bathsheba, we think of adultery, David's worst moment, uh, mother of Solomon. Okay, there's her saving grace. But but can I tell you that before all that, or not before, but necessarily, uh, not necessarily before, but in the midst of all that, there was a moment in her life that literally stopped Israel from devolving into Adonijah's kingdom and saved the kingdom. This is an amazing moment in the scripture. So let's get to, let's get to the text. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggath has become king and and David our Lord does not know it? Now therefore come, let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, did did you not, my Lord, the king, swear to your servant saying, Solomon, your son shall shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. Why then is Adonijah king? Then while you are still speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. Now this is incredible. Bathsheba's name, means daughter of the oath the word bath is the word for daughter and shiva is the word for oath Is the hebrew word for oath. so daughter of the oath this is a woman who in first kings chapter one verse 11 steps up to the plate through nathan the prophet to become someone who claims hold of god's promises instead of letting life pigeonhole her into her worst moment Then you think about Nathan. Who is Nathan? Nathan's the guy who tells you the truth even when you don't want to hear it and will really only probably spend time with people that he can trust. And he goes to Bathsheba. He doesn't doesn't go to David. It's it's kind of amazing to think about this because what does he, by going to Bathsheba, he is is already identifying that this woman has moved on from the adulterous affair with David back in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Like this is not... This is not the adulteress anymore. This is a woman who could do something. This is a woman who could get David's attention. And if I'm going to stop Adonijah from destroying the kingdom, I'm going to turn to Bathsheba. It's just phenomenal. Right there, that's what we're supposed to see. Then I want you to take a look at verse 15, because this is incredible, and you've got to learn something about Hebrew scripture and interpretation here through this verse. It says, so, So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber, And then look at this parenthetical statement. Now, the king was very old. We've already been told that. But look what the next line says. And Abishag, the Shunammite, who was attending to the king. Now, this is a parenthetical statement in verse 15, right next to the name Bathsheba for a reason. And I want to give you the reason. When you're studying the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, names close to names, when the Old Testament text puts a name near a name, it is often doing that so that we will draw a distinction between those two names, those two characters, and we will also think of that person in a larger context in terms of their life. Back to verse 15. Let me just show you what I mean. Here's Bathsheba going into the king on the, on the advice of Nathan, the godly prophet. Here's Abishag, the you could call her the new Bathsheba, the young, attractive, beautiful woman who is there to cause David to be virile again because he's getting old and they sent her, remember from last week, she was sent into the king to sleep with him, to keep him warm. And he doesn't, he doesn't do it. He doesn't, he doesn't have sex with her because he's so old, he can't have sex with her anymore. He's that weak. And so Bathsheba is brought into the kingdom, into the king's uh, chamber. And Abish- Abishag is there doing what? ultimately destroyed David's kingdom originally. But this time we are meant to read this by saying to ourselves, Bathsheba has grown. Bathsheba has changed. She has been sanctified. Yes, she may have been the adulteress, but now remember that she was once that abbot, Abish- she was Abishag before there's Abishag. Now she's an advisor to the king. Now she's a trusted confidant. This is someone who can speak to the king and hold the king to his words. And that is very important because this is going to be a picture for us as Christians, that when we come before the Father in prayer in the name of Jesus, this is so good, we don't come before the Father in our name, but in the name of Jesus, because the name of Jesus gives us rights, privileges, and opportunity based on his character, to claim his promises over our lives. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so beautiful? And that's what Bathsheba represents for us in this text because she's in the king's chamber. She's no longer Abishag. She's no longer the adulterer. She's no longer the lover. Look at what it says here, verse 16. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said, what do you desire? In other words, I got, what do you want? I, I know you, I, I, I respect you, I honor you. And she said to him, my lord, you swore to your servant the Lord my, by the Lord my, your God, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Verse 18. And now behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my lord, the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Job, the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, and, uh, but Solomon, your servant he has not invited. And now, my lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my Lord, the King after him. Otherwise it will come to pass when my Lord, the King sleeps with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. Look at her words. This is not a woman who is uh, wilting in the corner. This is not a woman who is letting her past be the definition of her life. This is a woman who is challenging the king this is a woman who is speaking boldly to the king this is a woman now empowered by nathan the prophet now that's also a, a picture for us nathan the prophet speaks words to encourage bathsheba the former adulteress now wife and mother of solomon to go into the king's temp into the king's chamber boldly and make uh, a claim on the promise the king made to her previously. Notice that again, that she said, did you not, did you not tell me, right, that Solomon, my son, shall reign after you? She's bold. She's powerful. She's strong in this moment. How many of us need our prayers to reflect the boldness of Bathsheba, you, when you think about bold prayers, Bathsheba's name does not come to mind, but it should, because this is a woman who boldly went in on the encouragement of Nathan the prophet. So so how this works out in your life is you have a pastor, you have a leader in your church who encourages you to be bold before the Lord. If your pastor is not promoting boldness before the Lord based on your salvation in Jesus' name find yourself a new pastor. Your pastor should encourage you to be bold in prayer before God and claim the promises of God over your life. I hope this was worth getting, uh, waiting for to get to this point because too many Christians do not pray bold prayers. Maybe it's because their pastors don't encourage them like Nathan encouraged Bathsheba. But I want to encourage you right here through this content, pray bold prayers, not based on your past. See, that's, that's, the, that's the thing that Bathsheba does here. She bases her prayer, her d- request on, of David, on David's promise. Oh, that is so good. That'll preach every day of the week. Verse 22, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in and they told the king, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord, the king, have you said that a night shall reign out after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day, sacrificed sheep and oxen. And he basically just un- unpacks everything that Adonijah has done. Uh, then he says, you know, but me, your servant, and Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, who is David's mighty man there, son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he is not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my Lord, the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my Lord, the king, after him? So what, what, what Nathan is doing is he's just backing up Bathsheba. And I think about this. You need someone like that in your life who will back you up in your prayers as you lay hold to the promises of God. I was having a men's night, uh, Monday night, and I was, we were talking about prayer. That was the theme of our conversation. And the subject of the Lord's Prayer came up. And someone was asking me, okay, well, let's talk about the will of God. Like praying, why do we pray the will of God first? And I said, that's not what we pray first. Back up in the prayer. Now, you think about the Lord's Prayer. What's the most important word in the Lord's Prayer? I would suggest, I would submit to you, and I taught the church, my church, uh, many years back through the Lord's Prayer. The first word of the Lord's Prayer is the most important word. The first word of the Lord's Prayer is what? Our. Our Father. The reason why the first word is the most important is because it reminds us that we are not, we are not the only people on the planet (laughs) that God has to answer and help and empower. And I bring that up because The most powerful prayers you ever pray are prayers that are in agreement with someone here on earth because that person will hold you accountable to whether or not this is in God's will or whether or not this is just selfish ambition or whether or not this is something that they can confidently pray about. You need prayer partners. That's what Nathan becomes here for Bathsheba. And some of you don't have boldness in your prayers because you don't have prayer partners, people who will lift these things up to, to, to God in prayer with you and for you and in agreement. Um, about what God wants for your life. And so what Nathan becomes here is a prayer partner for Bathsheba, giving her substantiation to her prayers, which she already laid claim of according to the promises of David made to her previously. And again, not divining herself by her past, but by God's promise, David's promise, who's a symbol of Jesus here in this this text. So verse 10, verse 28, then King David answered, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and and stood before the king. Now she's she's not bowing. She's standing before the king. And the king swore, saying, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. And as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne and in my place. Even so, I will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord uh, king David live forever. Then King David said, "Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Bananiah the son of Jehoiada, and they came before the king, and the king said to them, uh, Take with you the servants of my of your Lord, and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gaiha. Now now the word my own mule is just he is giving him substantiation. He is substantiating that Solomon is indeed the one who will carry the torch in the kingdom from this moment forward. And then it says, verse 34, And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel, then bow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Joy answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so, as the Lord has been with my Lord. It says this, as the Lord has been with my Lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. Now this is all going down according to plan. David is responding to the prayers of Bathsheba. Um, He is doing what Bathsheba boldly requested based on his previous words. And there are so many points to be made about this. You have the power of uh, communion in prayer. You have the power of knowing the word of God. This is one of the things that will embolden your prayers, knowing God's word, knowing what he has said, claiming whole, laying claim of his promises. Some of you struggle, uh, I said this with my church on Sunday, with anxiety, and you say this all the time. I have anxiety. You've got to stop saying you have anxiety. Maybe you struggle with anxiety. Maybe anxiety comes after you. Maybe you are being attacked by anxiety, but stop, stop laying hold of it. Stop claiming it. Stop owning it what what does the scripture say? We have the Holy Spirit. Nowhere does the Bible say we have anxiety. The Bible does say, be anxious for nothing. Anxiety will try to get in, but you don't have to hold on to it. Depression will try to get in, but you don't have to hold on to it. Addiction will try to get in, but you don't have to hold on to it. You can, through the power of the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the blood of Jesus, lay claim to Power that is beyond you, above you, and greater than you so that you can win the battle against the flesh that is often the most difficult part of you. That's what we're seeing here. Uh, David springs into action for Bathsheba. He, He takes her words and goes to work, and that's exactly what happens in prayer for us. When we pray, it may not feel like something's happening, but I'm telling you right now, something is happening. There's this beautiful moment in Daniel, I think it's Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel is praying and he prays for 21 days, he sees nothing. And then finally the angel comes to Daniel and says, from the moment you set your face to seek me, seek the Lord your God, sorry, I have been working, but I fought the prince of Persia. The prince is a, um, a spiritual uh, enemy of Persia, uh, of, of God's people. And he says, I, I, was, I, was, I was fighting in the spiritual realm." And you got to understand that as a Christian, when you're praying, spiritual things start to happen in the heavenly places. So just because you don't see something happening doesn't necessarily mean nothing's happening. You have to see this or you will be so discouraged in prayer. You have to see that your prayers start putting things into action in the spiritual realm. The moment you start to pray, therefore pray. I wonder if there's not activity going on above your head in the spiritual realm because maybe... You are doing what Bathsheba could have very well have done. You are defining yourself by your worst moment, your your past, your problems, your sins, your mistakes, and you're not defining yourself according to what God's word has already said. And maybe that's because you don't know what God's word says. And this is one of the benefits of knowing the word is that you remember his promises and then you call God out on his promises and you absolutely can do that. There are so many prayers I could give you so many examples of people who said, Lord, remember what you said. Remember what you did. Remember who you are. And people received what they asked of the Lord because they were bold enough to ask the Lord according to what he has said. Okay, back to the Bible camp. So we go on here in verse 38, Zadok, Zadok the priest, Nathan, the prophet, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. Sorry, I keep butchering that name. (laughs) And the Carathites and the Palathites went down to the They went down and had Solomon ride on the king's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. They blew the trumpet. And all the people said, long live King Solomon. All the people went up after him playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. I mean, this is an amazing moment. Again, spiritual reality is at work here. The earth was split by their noise. The prayer of Bathsheba to David starts to put the powers of David's army into motion and the motion starts to split the earth what is one of the what is that next line our father in heaven for uh, from the lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven when you pray and hold claim to the promises of god lay claim to the promises of god you split the earth with the will of god you bring heaven down to Earth, powerful stuff here. Verse forty-one. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it. Now, this is Adonijah. Remember the self-centered, handsome, me first, I will be king guy. And he hears what happens—the noise of the people of David singing and rejoicing over Solomon being made king. And it says, and they uh, when they uh, when the guests who were with him heard it. As they were finished feasting, it says, when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, what does this uproar in the city mean? While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came and Adonijah said, come in, you are a worthy man. Bring, you bring good news. Jonathan answered, no, not this time. <laughs> no, for our Lord King David has made Solomon king and the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And they had him ride on the king's mule and Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him at Gihon and they have gone up from their rejoicing so that the city is in uproar. And this is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our, congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed, and the king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of, David, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. Now, this is Uh, What we're supposed to see here is that Adonijah's kingdom is totally upended by the prayers and the activity of the true and righteous anointed King David. Again, David's actions upset and uh, actually bring to pass the promises of David concerning Solomon and those promises upend uh, uh, Adonijah's kingdom. Self-centeredness that is prevalent in our world, that is that is radically exp- expansive in our world, is upended through the prayers of a woman named Bathsheba, because she claimed hold of the promises David made to her. Let's go one more step into the Bible uh, again. We do the Bible cam to read the Bible because there's so much text in First Kings. We're just going to go through it uh, through this. This uh, means from now on in the season. Verse 49. Then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose and each went to his own way and Adonijah feared Solomon so he rose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar this is an expression of absolute uh, despair he is ready to die so he like last ditch effort here he goes in and takes hold of the altar and it says it was told Solomon behold Adonijah fears King Solomon behold he has laid hold hold of the thorn, horns of the altar saying let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put me that he will not put his servant to death without the sword and Solomon said if He will show himself a worthy man. Not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth, but if if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar, and he came and paid homage to King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, go to your house. All right, that's the text. Let's talk about it. All right, so when we talk about it, we're talking about fundamentally the defining moments of our lives. What is the defining moment of your life? And that really is the question that I want to pose here based on 1 Kings chapter 1. Bathsheba, the name, what comes to mind? Adultery, murder of her husband. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions about Bathsheba's character even in that moment. And we'll get to that in a second. But what you have to see is what the text is asking us to do is never judge someone by a single moment. Never judge someone by a single moment, especially if it's a bad moment. Because when we think of the name of Bathsheba, that's what we think about. We think about adultery. But did you ever think about the fact that this is the woman that literally saved the kingdom from going the way of Adonijah and instead went the way of Solomon? Adonijah, I will be king Solomon, the king of peace, wisdom, the guy who brings prosperity and blessing to Israel. Never, never judge someone by a single moment. Can I tell you also, that includes yourself. That includes yourself. Don't judge yourself by a single moment. So here's, what the, here's the transition for Bathsheba. She goes from the other woman, okay, to Nathan's first choice to intervene, the woman who saves a nation. Uh, I don't know what your character is. I don't know what your defining character is right now, but I can tell you this, that God can transform you. God can redefine you. God can take you from being the person that people associate with, I don't know, alcohol, drugs, lust, pride, um, materialism, Whatever and make you a person useful in the, in the kingdom that he is building. This is the point of the story. This is the point of every um, story of a former sinner made saint. It's the power of the gospel that brings Gentiles into the family of God, makes people righteous, changes people's definition and redefines them according to what God has said and done for them instead of what they did to themselves. And, and that's really what we're asked to see in this text, in this very long chapter in 1 Kings. So with that in mind, let's tap into some truth and we'll close out the episode. Okay, so some truths that I want to tap into here today. Your past does not define your potential god's promises define potential what are you allowing to be the overarching theme of your life if it's not the cross if it's not the blood of jesus if it's not the grace of the lord jesus christ you're making a horrible mistake you are your mind needs to be as the scripture says renewed right do not be conformed to the image of this world romans chapter 12 but be Transformed through the renewing of your mind. There are going to be forces in this world that try to define you. There are going to be people in this world that try to pigeonhole you. There may even be Christians who say, This is who you are. There's no changing it. Don't even bother trying. Like, there's a lot of Christians that do that to other Christians. There's a lot of Christians that do that to new Christians. Oh, I know that person. I know where they came from. Oh, I know their past. Okay, yeah, that's their past. Ladies and gentlemen, we are Christians. Your past is not defined potential. God's promises. Defined potential. I want to show you some, so, show, show you some names. When we talk about the, the redefinition of our lives, consider these names in the Bible. When we think about Eve, who do we think of? Original sinner. But God makes her the mother of all the living. That's the last thing the Bible says about Eve. That's the definition God gives. Or Abraham becomes, or I'm sorry, Abram, the guy who sells out his wife, the guy who fails God and um, sleeps with Hagar, and God makes him Abraham. The word Abraham is the word, the name Abram with H in it, which is the word or the, the, the sound that, that the ancients believed God made when he said, when he spoke into the world and said, Let there be light. The H is God speaking. Abraham, I'm going to speak into your life, Abraham. I'm going to redefine you. Isn't that powerful? Or Jacob the thief becomes Jacob the patriarch. Jacob who robbed his brother, robbed his old man, took advantage of his own blindness becomes Jacob, the mighty patriarch, the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes from Jacob's life line. I'm sorry. Ruth, the widow becomes Ruth, the wife. She loses her husband uh, in her land in Moab. And and then she, through loyalty to Naomi, becomes Ruth, the wife of Boaz and the great grandmother of David. (laughs) Redefinition. Moses, the murderer becomes Moses, the lawgiver. Think about that. I always think about Moses getting the the Ten Commandments from God on the mountain and, you know, the do not murder comes out and he's like, yikes, I did that. (laughs) He's the one that delivers that law to Israel because God does not define you on your past. He defines you according to his promises. Um, Simon becomes Peter, the rock. Uh, Simon's name means listen, Peter's name Petros means rock. Saul, of course, the the archetype of this, becomes uh, Paul, the greatest uh, evangelist of the uh, gospel. And then let's add to the list one more name, the name Bathsheba. Bathsheba, the other woman, okay, becomes Bathsheba, queen, mother. Bathsheba, the other woman, the adulteress, becomes queen, mother, there are some commentators that believe that when Bathsheba uh, goes and bathes on the roof of her house nakedly, uh, she did that on purpose to allure King David because in the ancient world, and I have been to the city of David, and I, I think I've shown pictures of the city of David as it is now on the show, but I have been there and you can see that the the, the buildings are all stacked on top of each other. So when, when, but she was on her roof, and all the other roofs would have been lower than the king's roof. It's quite possible because she's a, a son of, uh, I'm sorry, she's the wife of Uriah, who was a mighty man in David's army. It's quite possible that their houses were close. She saw David out there a couple times, maybe, and then she goes out there and purposely gets naked and bathes on the roof. My point is is that she was not some innocent bystander in that moment a lot of commentators believe that and so you could easily call her oh my gosh this is the woman who uses her body to seduce the king and god says nope i'm not going to define her forever by that by that moment that was a bad moment there's no there's no excuse for that moment god does not wash over that moment god, god does not just ignore that moment it's on it's in holy scripture so that we remember that that was a moment in her life but first king chapter one is there to remind us that that does not stick with her. That's not the only thing we're supposed to remember about Bathsheba. Her later years were better than her former years. And I would say to you in your life, your later years in Christ are going to be better than your former years because that is the process of sanctification. That's what the gospel brings to our lives. Let me close this out by saying this, tapping into truth. The enemy wants to define you according to your sins and failures. God defines you according to his grace and purposes. God defines you not by what you did wrong, but God defines you by what he has done for you that is right. And the key text of all this of First Kings chapter one is when Bathsheba went into, the king, into his cha- went, went to the king's chamber, and there's Abishag, who represents her former life, but this time it's Bathsheba who bows and pays homage and then gets her desires and makes her request, her bold request to David, and calls David out on his promises and changes the nation. This is a beautiful picture in 1 Kings chapter 1, that in a world and in a story where the kings are not always going to be the greatest kings, Adonijah, who was king for moments, uh, was not a good king, but he's going to be the archetype for many successful king, successive kings after Solomon. In the midst of all that, it's the people who lay hold of God's word and God's promises who change the nation. And the same is true for you, and the same is true for me. So my point today, as we close out this conversation, is what are you holding on to? what are the promises from God's word that you are holding on to? That's a great question. Do you know the promises? Have you been in the scriptures? Do you read the scriptures and get a hold of what God has said? And then the last question is what are the things in your past that you need to let go of? Like what's holding you back from, from going after God and seeking him and, and asking of him the things that he has promised you in his word. On the other side of this camera, I know what I love about the deep dive is that I get to do this on my own time. You get to do this on your own time, right? But what I love about this moment is to get you to think that you are a promise and a prayer, according to that promise, away from a powerful moment in your life. You, You are a promise and a prayer away from a powerful moment in your life. God can redefine you. God can use you. God can empower you look this is what the stories are for in the old testament in the new testament the failures that god restores to himself and gives promises to so that they can make a powerful impact in the world it begins in your home begins in your family begins in your job your community your neighborhood but ultimately it begins here it begins with what you are letting go in here the promises of god got to go in and the past has to go out amen That's the episode, guys. Like, share, subscribe. Uh, So glad you guys are here. Support the channel if you would. Uh, I value all your support. Thank you for being here tonight. And also 10 Questions with Tim. First Thursday of the month. Can't wait to get to that. We are only, I think, two Thursdays away from that. So make sure that you also uh, tune in for the deep end on Tuesday nights. And the Deep Dive and Deep End will be here uh, next Tuesday and next Wednesday. Other than that, God bless you guys. Have a great night. Lay hold of the promises of God.